Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show, all about movies. You're listening to The Jam Price Show, and today my guest is award-winning producer-director Lydia Dean Pilcher. Welcome to the show, Lydia. Hello. Nice to be here. Nice to have you here. We're going to talk about your, well, you have many films out, but we're going to specifically concentrate on Radium Girls, which I just loved, and it's got an amazing cast, so uh, starring Joey King and Abby Quinn. What I'm always interested in is how you got attracted to this project. And also, we want to tell our audience a little bit about what Radium Girls is about. So let's talk about what it, just first tell, tell the audience what the movie is about, Radium Girls, and how you got attracted to this project. Okay. I think I can, I think I can do both in one go. Um, <laughs> I, I have a company in New York, Cinema Mosaic, and I had been looking for a film that we could take on that would deal with the environment, something that I am very passionate about, and I wanted to merge my passion and my storytelling career. And I've been looking far and wide. I Trust me, I really was digging deep. And someone told me about the screenplay that was written by Ginny Moeller and Brittany Shaw about the Radium Girl story. And I just got their phone number and said, send it to me right now. I read it like within 24 hours. I, I, I read it, couldn't put it down. It's an amazing story that most people haven't heard of about factory workers. Um, our story is based on an American radium factory in Orange, New Jersey in the late 1920s when American radium and different radium companies, Illinois, Connecticut, had started um, hiring women to sort of paint these luminous watch dials, glow-in-the-dark watch dials. It was a time when radium was considered to be a miracle elixir. It had just been discovered by Marie Curie, and it was reducing tumors, so it would seem healthful, but at the same time, everybody, and you can imagine entrepreneurs, were just going crazy. Well, you can drink the water, you can put it in your cosmetic and use it to x-ray your foot when you're getting your shoe size measured. And so people were just going full tilt. But these girls in the factories were literally imbibing the radium because they were lip pointing their brushes. They were the same technique that had been used for China painting for years. And as girls began to fall sick, the, um, the corporation brought in a company doctor. They also brought in a research team. They kind of knew what was going on, but they didn't want to slow down the big butt that we're rolling in. And so the rest of the story um, is really about what happens when um, a few of the girls really uncover what ha- what was happening, the real story. Yeah. Hey. And it is, it is, it is so good. I mean, I, New Jersey's my home state and, and, and this is set in around 1925, which I love anything to do with the twenties. I think I lived in that era and one of my past lives for sure, but <laughs> I, I have such an affinity towards it, but what I really, I love these kinds of stories where, and you know, it's, it's a true story. It's based on a true story. You, um, during that time period that, you know, these young women or, or anyone who becomes a whistleblower, you know, who fight all the odds. They don't have the money. They're fighting big corporations um, and they are not going to take no and that they, you know, continue um, with the story. But it has a different kind of ending. And I don't want to I don't want to give that away. Um, but let's talk a little bit about, you know, the the two girls that are the protagonist in the story, who this is about and their sister, their older sister. Yeah, I think the thing that I was really compelled by in the story is that this, these were teenage girls and they were sisters and they were they were different, you know, in the way that so many members 
members of families can be different. You know, one had dreams of going to Hollywood and becoming a big star, and the other one does going to Egypt and doing archaeological digs. And they were both, you know, working in this very um, fact, small factory in a, in a sort of a small piece of the world, but New York was right across the river. And we were very interested in sort of bringing the what the world of the time was that the Radium Girls existed in to bear because it, it did unfold that that is important in terms of how their story also unfolds. So, um, yeah, so, so it, it, it was it was an age of innocence for these two girls. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, they were they were really thinking this was a job and their dreams lived somewhere way beyond. But when the when the when the sickness started to happen, um, there had been a, a woman who was working at the New Jersey Consumers League named Catherine Wiley, and she's a very important person to this whole story because there were radium factories in a lot of other cities. But this New Jersey Health Department, a woman had given Catherine Wiley some reports about the workers falling sick, and Catherine Wiley was like, "Wait a minute, you know." You're saying that, you know, all of these women are falling sick with the same illness. They all work at the same place and it's not work related, you know. And and so the she was finding that she was stonewalled everywhere she went. And when the Radium Girls came to visit her, she said, well, you know, have you had any other family members that have worked at the factory? And they said, yes, our sister, our older sister died, you know. Two years ago, she um, they said she had syphilis, and uh, one of the sisters gets very kind of un- unsettled that the other sister is sort of divulging these very sort of private details, things that women don't want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and Catherine Wiley says, "Well, you know, we've been looking for a body to exhume because this is the only way we can really evaluate if the, what the cause of death was." And that's just the light bulb moment. You know, they didn't have it right there in the office. One of them just wanted to get up and leave. She was done. Um, the other one was listening very intently. But when they got home, they talked about it. And they decided for their older sister, they had to do it. And uh, when the body was exhumed, it was indeed radium poisoning. And there was no trace of syphilis. And that's what's also interesting because they also diagnosed um, other women with syphilis. And it's kind of like, okay, wait a minute. How can everybody have syphilis? Um, It's all working in the same place. But um, again, big corporations, you know, I mean, it's not unlike what's going on today. What was also, I'm like you, I'm, you know, the environment is incredibly important to me also. And that's why I love what I do because I can highlight the kinds of movies that I want to highlight. Uh, that deal with the the subject matters that you know that I'm interested in, and and hopefully the audience is interested in too. But today, I mean, this. But even after all of this, and this is, I hope I'm not giving anything away. This company continued to work until the 70s, right? Well, the the fact that factory was shut down uh, at the at the end of the story, but it had more to do with governmental legislation that was in dire need of, you know, even coming into existence, I would say reform, but it didn't even exist. And that's the, that's the part of the story that I think is really also pretty fascinating about the Radium Girls story, which was that they existed in a time when women had just, you know, gotten the right to vote not that long ago. There were a lot of 
higher level women activists in a lot of different fields. There was, you know, Alice Hamilton, who was a pioneer in, in um, chemical tox- toxicology. Um, the, the, the woman and her husband who did the study at American Radium were working for the Harvard University Department of Public Health. Um, there was, you know, Jane Hull, you know, there were social justice, uh, the Consumers League, the League of Women Voters, um, academics, all of these women were, had been in the suffrage movement. And so when they, they were very concerned about industrialization, they were concerned that there was no child regulation about, you know, labor, um, and there was no regulation about chemical um, safety. And so they, they really took this on. And they real, once they realized that the girls were going to stand up and were willing to actually sue the corporation and go to court, they, they really got down and said, here's the media engine. We're going to support you. And they took it to a national level. Amazing. Amazing back then. I mean, again, this is the be- beginning of the suffragette movement and, and women getting more and more in the workforce and everything. But it, it, even given all of that, did, did it, it, what transpired? I mean, it, what changed? What do you think changed as a result of them and the media coverage and the lawsuit and everything else? Because I'm not sure you, you know. What do you think changed? Well, I think what we know, which the Radium Girls will never know, is that their case had a tremendous impact on all the legislation in the court cases to come. I mean, they were one of the early, one of the first court cases that ever existed in the in the age of industry about worker safety. And so, you know, even when we finished the movie, the EPA reached out to us, some scientists reached out to us just to say how thrilled they were that we had made the movie because they still use the Radium Girls case as precedence when they're arguing uh, court cases around toxic chemical regulation today. So I think, um, you know, I think that they they actually had a lot more impact than they could have ever imagined that they would have. Um, so it's, it's, it's an honor to be able to sort of bring their story to light and honor them in that way. It is. It really is. It's, it's a, it's a beautifully done movie. I love the, um, the cinematography, the atmosphere, the music. Do you want to talk a little bit about how, um, how you decided to film it? I mean, you have a co-director on this. Yes. Jenny Moeller, who, co-wrote the screenplay with Brittany Shaw. Um, Jenny and I co-directed the film and it was, um, it was great to work together. We had, you know, once I had you know, met Jenny and Brittany in New York, we were all in New York. We just started meeting regularly and um, really developing the screenplay further and do, doing deeper, deeper research in terms of the world building aspects of the story and um, then we, you know, started to make the plan toward, you know, production. So, yeah, we had a lot of, it's a very female-driven crew and all of the department heads. Lily, uh, Rebecca McDonough is the composer and she um, had come out of a screen scoring program at NYU and just really just knocked us out. She just has it's such a versatile style, really is attracted to sound design in her music, but also has a a real ear for a classicism as well. But um, it really made for a very um, interesting 
um, I think, sort of emotional score. And our cinematographer, um, Matthew Plainfalset, was a French cinematographer who had come to New York because he wanted to shoot independent films. And we met him and we and he just had this amazing reaction to the script and loved it. It felt very, very passionate about it. And so we um, we teamed up with Matthew and that was we felt really lucky to get him. And um, that was, you know, that was also a, a very strong collaboration for us. Yeah, it, well, it's as I said, it's beautifully shot, and the um, you really the way you've done it is that really does bring you back to the feel of what that era felt like, you know, the atmosphere of that era, and and that's what I, I love. But you know, the, the, today the the uh, one of the things is that we think as a as Americans that our government is protecting us, um, and lo and behold, it's not. So with this. Uh, current administration that we have a lot of things have changed do you want to talk a little bit about that about some of the you know our consumer safety regulations and that have been in our environmental protection rules and things that have been repealed yes i think you know listen i think it's a there's a power balance that's always at play um between you know commerce and just kind of a general you know, communal well-being, and it's it's a conversation that I think is what this election is all about that we're heading into. But I, it, it is interesting when you actually look at the details of the Radium Girl story and what's happening now, because you know there's a scene with uh, when the girls have finally hired a lawyer. It took them a very long time because nobody really wanted to go up. Nobody wanted to represent a bunch of girls against the big corporation that was the power base of the economy in, in their town. Finally, somebody took the case and they're having their first meeting and it kind of starts to dribble out that actually there had been this research study done that had been, they couldn't actually use because uh, American Radium had commissioned a study, and therefore they owned it. And we, and there's a character, Doris, who says, "Owning research—that's like owning gravity." Yeah. But <laughs> it kind of rings—it kind of rings out in terms of, the, I think, the frustration that many of us feel about the debates and the dialogues going on around science and research and who controls it and the money that's involved and how high the stakes are in terms of the money and whether the government is trusting, you know, the research centers that we've relied on for our, all of our lifetimes. It's, you know, it, it creates a real maelstrom of, um, of uncertainty. So that, that that's an interesting parallel. And I think it, it does, you know, it, that sort of, centrifugal force of the parallel really is, you know, mirrored in all of these other ways in terms of, you know, economies collapsing, you know, workers, is it safe to go back to work? What do we know about COVID? What did they know about radium? It's really, you know, it's like, it's quite striking. It is. It is. That's why this movie is just um, so pertinent today. Um, that, you know, that a lot of people will go, oh, this took place back in the 1920s. You know, why would I even be that interested in it? And um, the parallels of what's going on in our world today. I mean, it just shows you nothing's really changed in all of these years, um, many, many years that have we've, we've gone through. And, and they had changed and now they're getting changed back again. It's all about money, isn't it? 
it. It's always about big money. It's follow the money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, who, yeah. who is, who is uh, funding uh, these various um, things that are going on in our world right now? You've got, again, you've got a great cast, as I mentioned earlier, with Joey King, who's just like, you know, she's appearing in a lot of things and developing quite the reputation as a, as a really good young actress. And then Abby Quinn also, both of them. And they were really wonderful in this film. How did you attract both of them to this film? Well, Abby, I had worked with on, on another movie. Um, she had taken a small film and the sisterhood of night and the casting director on that film had come to me and said, you know, there's this great actress in Boston. She's in high school and her mom's not going to let her, you know, leave school to do this, but you should just, just put her in a part, like have her come out on the weekend, do something. I said, really? She's from Boston. We have to bring somebody in. She goes, this girl's going to be a star and you should just put her in the movie. So I was like, yes, ma'am. So we, <laughs> so we cast Abby in a very small part. And sure enough, you know, you're sitting in the editing room and you're like, this, this girl has incredible presence. She has an incredible internal quality that I call the X factor. Mm-hmm. When somebody has something and you only see, you really see it on the screen. And so I was thrilled that we could offer Abby to play Josephine. Um, the, the one who aspires to be an archaeologist in the, in the film. And she's just, I mean, she's just tremendous, I think. Mm-hmm. And she has great chemistry with Joey King. And Joey was really, you know, is really modeled after one of the Radium girls whose diaries were very much drawn from um, in the screenplay. Her name was Catherine Saab. And her diaries really told us a lot about her personality. It was very, um, she was very bubbly and dynamic and had a vivid imagination. She was a dreamer. And you could tell all of that. And the idea of, you know, casting somebody that could have that kind of um, sort of breathless, reckless, you know, um, joie de vivre, you know, Joey just seemed like she was it. And so we were thrilled when she expressed interest in the project and we offered her the part. And then the, together, the two, you know, just had such chemistry and they really loved each other on screen and off screen. And I think you really feel that in the movie. You feel that yes. connection. Yeah, you really do. Yeah, there's great chemistry, you know, in, of, of the two characters there, you know, in the film. Um, so it's great casting. And, you know, you're not always sure you're going to get that, obviously, when you're casting a movie, but they, they uh, play off of each other really well uh, on this. Where, where can people see Radium Girls? Well, we are playing across the country in about 30 different theaters um, in places where theaters are able to open um, with social distancing. And in cities where they're not able to open, sometimes we're partnering with cinemas on a virtual partnership. Mm-hmm. But if, if everybody goes to radiumgirlsmovie.com and looks under play dates, you can see them, you can find out where to see the movie. You can either see it in a theater near you, or you can buy a digital ticket online on the platform that we have and make your own popcorn and watch it at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
many of us are doing nowadays. Our, yeah. the, uh, the theaters where I live are not open, uh, much to my chagrin, because I always feel movies should be seen in the movie theater. I say that all the time here. Um, but, you know, who knows what's going to happen with our movie theaters as we move forward. Um, is it going to, do you know at this stage whether it will be eventually on video on demand and digital? Yes, it will be. We're going to run, uh, I mean, it is available digitally now because you can go to radiumgirlsmovie.com uh-huh. and mm-hmm. it will it will let you buy. As of tomorrow at 12 o'clock, you can buy a ticket right then and there. Okay, um, great. So, um, and we'll be, we'll be released in this way until mid-January and then we will go on to the more traditional platforms at that point. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, everybody should seek out Radium Girls because it is just a, it's a wonderful movie. It's beautifully done um, and I, and I, and well acted and directed and the music, everything is just wonderful about it. I, now I want, I want to talk a little bit about a movie I have not seen. I did attempt to go see it at the Santa Barbara Film Festival. Uh, it was the hit of the Santa Barbara Film Festival because all of the uh, screenings and they even added extra screenings during the festival were, were sold out. I mean, you just couldn't get in. And that is Liberté, a called by. And uh, there's a lot of buzz about this movie right now. Can we talk? And although I haven't seen it, um, can you tell us a little bit about it? And I'm looking forward to, to seeing it. Yes, it's um, it's a movie that um, the writer and producer Sarah Megan Thomas had. Um, she had come to my office and she asked to see Radium Girls. We showed her the movie, and it was really off of that experience that she said, "Would you like to direct this movie about three female spies um, who are hired by Churchill during World War II?" as the first civilian spies as women to go into occupied France and um, work under the Ministry of Economic Warfare. It was to conduct sabotage and subversion um, to slow down the, the Nazi invasion. So I was, you know, it really, it was, it was a story that just, you know, was unbelievable. I had, there was the three spies. One was a Romanian Jew working in London, Vera Act. One was an Indian um, woman who had grown up in France and lived in London, Noor Anaya Khan, Muslim. Uh, and then there was an American, Virginia Hall, who had a, had lost a leg in a hunting accident and the um, the Americans would not hire her to be in the foreign service. So she went to Europe and um, she was hired out of the London office to go to France. So the story is, is a kind of a, it's a story about these, these three women um, in this particular part of the war before the Americans came in um, and then after the Americans came in, but before D-Day. And uh, it's an amazing, it was an amazing experience to direct that movie because again, and these were these were women who were really taking on something um, much bigger than themselves, you know, different from the Radium Girl. But, you know, you know, going out into Nazi occupied France where you're where you really it was really not a high percentage of a chance that you would come back um, mm-hmm. was, you know, was pretty, pretty intense. Yeah, pretty dangerous. Very dangerous. And, and, and nobody really knew about them, obviously. So how did this story get unearthed? Well, they, Sarah, Sarah really found the story, and there were 39 female SOE agents hired out of Churchill's um, war room, and there were, you know, and there were many other men SOE agents. They were all part of a French resistance that was a um, internationally driven sort of phenomena of people coming from different countries, really, to try to defeat Hitler before he completely took over France. And um, I had done a lot of research in the Imperial War Museum archives in London, and I also went to Lyon, and there's an amazing resistance museum there that was actually the 
head, Klaus Barbie's headquarters when he came in as the as the head of the Gestapo. Wow. Um, I, I hate to interrupt you, but our time has run out. Okay. Where, can pe- okay. where can people find A Call to Spy? Let me tell you, A Call to Spy. A Call to Spy is um, is being distributed by IFC Films, and you can go to acalltospyfilms.com and find all the play dates, and, but it's also on Amazon and all the other major platforms. Wonderful. A Call to Spy. A Call yeah. to Spy. I, I do recommend it because everybody raving about it during the, the Santa Barbara Film Festival. Thank you so much, Lydia. It was a pleasure having you on the show, and I wish you much success with both of these movies. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you You're taking welcome. the time. You're welcome. Yeah. You can listen to The Jam Price Show whenever and wherever at thejamprishow.com, where all my shows are archived, or you can listen on the iHeart Podcast Network, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and follow us on on Instagram and Twitter and like us on Facebook. Thank you for listening. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show, all about movies. 